There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hey everyone, I'm Alana Bearfields, and you're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm coming to you from Xavier University in Louisiana. We have a great show today for you all, but before we dive in, let me introduce my co-host. I'm on the line with Deja Harrison, who is the newest fellow from Graham State. Hi, thanks so much, Alana. I'm so happy to be a Roden Fellow. And we also have Isaiah George from Morgan State University in Baltimore. Hey, what's up, everybody? We have a great show planned for you today. First up, we'll discuss what happened during the NFL playoffs with the Saints and the Rams and how fans are responding. Later on, we'll get to the controversy over Kevin Hart stepping down to host the Oscars and Oscar nominations. And let's not forget, we'll get into the possible comeback of Soldier Boy. But before we get to those juicy topics, the Super Bowl is right around the corner. Many artists such as Rihanna, Pink, and even Jay-Z have turned off offers down to perform. So the real question here is, are we excited to see Maroon 5, Big Boy, and Travis Scott take the stage? Isaiah, what do you think? Well, not for Maroon 5 and Big Boy, but for Travis Scott, definitely. And I know he's the one taking the most heat from most of the uh, music industry and, and other rappers, because obviously Kaepernick has been blackballed by the NFL and people seem to think that he's siding with the NFL by agreeing to be in the Super Bowl. But to me, he has probably the best music or the, the music that can reach so many different people, at least right now, and had one of the better albums in 2018. So I'm definitely excited for Travis Scott, but he's not even the main act. And, you know, with everything around it, the controversy, it kind of spoils it a little bit. So I'm very excited about Travis Scott. He has a lot of mainstream music out right now, and especially since he's partnered up with the NFL making sure that they donated $500,000 to the Dream Corps Foundation. And, you know, they have a lot of supporters like Jay-Z and Meek Mills on this team. So I'm really excited for Travis Scott and that he took initiative to make the NFL make these donations. And the Dream Corps, their slogan is 21st century jobs, not jails. So I'm really happy that he's doing that. Deja, I couldn't agree even more. Um, you know, you see Travis Scott doing these amazing things in the community and he's actually getting the recognition that he deserves. You know, he's a, a great artist. Um, it's just interesting. I feel like with Maroon 5, Big Boy and Travis is that they're three completely different artists in their own way. So it's going to be interesting for a halftime performance. I don't think this will be the best halftime performance through history, but you know, they might prove me wrong. Um, And one thing I want to say, I know Deja brought it up about the, the $500,000 that the NFL is supposed to be donating to Dream Corps. I, I do think it's a good gesture, but I also think it's something that came only because he he faced the backlash that he did I mean, maybe he was um you know had that set up all along but it's just something to me that seems a little bit i won't say fake but just trying to save his audience as much as he can 
Well, I totally look forward to seeing the halftime performance. But moving on, it's all about the Saints that we need to talk about and dive into that topic. So as you know, there's no secret that the New Orleans Saints fans and players are still upset over the loss to the Los Angeles Rams and the NFC Championship game. Just in case you don't know what we're talking about, basically Rams defensive back Nickel Roby Coleman ran face first into Tommy Lee Lewis along the sideline. The hit wasn't caused for pass interference or helmet-to-helmet contact, so the Saints didn't have a first down at the Los Angeles 6- or 7-yard line, and by extension, no opportunity to run down the clock before attempting a field goal. And this is why folks are mad. They feel like this no-call Help the Saints lose. So let's listen to a clip. Quick snap. Breeze. Passes incomplete. No flag for Tommy Lee Lewis. Nikel Roby Coleman delivered a hit. And the two officials talk to each other. Crowd's going crazy as there's no flag right on the Saints sideline. Well, if Mikel Roby Coleman plays the ball, it's an interception. It's probably going the other way with it. I mean, the ball's on the other side of Roby Coleman, and but that should have been a penalty. Unhappy Saints fans have expressed their displeasure in various forms, from billboards, lawsuits, and a Change.org petition. Even retired players such as Benjamin Watson and Reggie Bush have backed their fans by saying that their refs need to be held accountable. The biggest issue right now is that fans want to go back and add or change NFL rules regarding the no-pass interference in holding calls. League Commissioner Roger Goodell said the NFL would discuss using replay technology to help correct future on-field officiating mistakes. He also acknowledged that officials are human and that they don't always get it right. As of Thursday, January 31st, no rules have been adjusted. However, Nickel Roby Coleman will be fined with nearly $27,000 for the helmet-to-helmet that was not flagged during the game. An NFL Network rep says this fine is basically acknowledgement that a hit of a defensive player flag should have been drawn. So, Deja and Isaiah, what do you think the Saint fans should be doing right now? Should they be upset? Should they be, you know, move on from the situation? What do you guys think? Well, Deja's from New Orleans, so I definitely want to hear her first. Yeah, since I'm from New Orleans, I definitely want to go first about this. As a Saints fan, I am outraged. Um, you saw what happened last season, how we lost um, in a divisional round against the Vikings, and we for sure thought that this was the year we were going to the Super Bowl. And this was the year that we were going to the Super Bowl until this happened. So, I mean, it's it's sad that we know the refs saw the hit, and it's sad that nothing is going to be done about it. And that's the one of the biggest things, too, is that everybody says, well, next year they have that chance. Well, it's going to be a completely different team. Some players might not come back because of trading. Um, I truly think this, the fa- the Saints fans are probably going to be upset for a while. But at the end of the day, it's not m- nothing uh, too much that they can really do. Uh, there is something interesting that I saw after the game. Uh, Michael Thomas had tweeted out about a certain rule that the commissioner has power to actually change or not not change an outcome but basically kind of like restart the game I'll, I'll, I'll 
read what the rule is. It's Rule 17, Section 2, Article 1 in the NFL hand, uh, NFL rulebook. The commissioner has the sole authority to investigate and take appropriate dis- disciplinary and or corrective measures if any club, action, non-participant, interference, or calamity occurs in the NFL game, which the commissioner deems so extraordinary, unfair, or outside the accepted tactics encountered in professional football. Now, that what that tells me is that he has the power to at least do something about the game. And you've seen that Nikhil Roby Coleman has been fined $27,000, like you said before. That's telling me that there should have been a flag, whether it had been pass interference because he obviously got there early, or helmet to helmet. And that was one of the things coming into the league year that was supposed to be an emphasis put on by the officials. So either way, there should have been a flag called and there was none. Even if you didn't think it was pass interference, you had the helmet to helmet call. This is probably one of the worst calls by referees I've ever seen or the worst no calls I've ever seen by a referee in all of sports. Mm-hmm. You know, just going back, you know, I was, you know, I go to school in New Orleans. I was, you know, watching the game at, you know, at an event. And literally when it was down to the last couple of minutes, Saints fans literally started walking out and the whole mood changed. The whole city changed. Um, and, you know, you see in the press conference with Sean Payton, he called the NFL and, you know, they kind of just said, oh, well, we kind of bloated on that call. And just going back to accountability of these refs, you know, moving forward, you know, for the next Super Bowl, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think an actual rule will be placed or do you think that the NFL will continue with their same rules? Well, with this, it's so bad. I think the NFL has to do something. And I don't know if you can necessarily change too much, but I think one thing that you can do is, and if, if I'm not sure if this is already in place or not, but have a ref right at the headquarters of the NFL or wherever the refs are during uh, game day, one for each, one separate ref for each game that's watching the game live. And then that ref, if he sees something that needs to be called, or if he sees something that a flag is thrown and it and hit from his angles, all the angles that he can see at his headquarters, that it shouldn't, that he should be able to make a call and say, all right, there needs to be a flag for this. There shouldn't be a flag for that. That's the only way I think this can be fixed. Um, you can't necessarily do replays for penalties or non-penalties. I think you start getting a little bit into a different uh, field when you get there and you start to get too much control. But I think having someone at the NFL headquarters, a separate ref for each game, I think that works. Um, I would say just like when something like that happens in the NFL, you know, you see a replay on the TV at least 10 times on air and we see people like Jay Blazer coming in and just seeing what he thinks and what he saw. You know, he's an expert, so I definitely think that would be a great idea to have a head ref doing something like that. Um, as far as holding them accountable, if it's like a big game, they should definitely be suspended. But some type of action needs to be taken in situations like this. And I was just going to bring that up. You know, fans were so upset that they started showing up to the ref's hotel. I don't know how they found out where they were staying, but they started showing up to their hotel outside, outraged, 
But, you know, talking about holding refs accountable, you know, Deja, you brought up a great point for Isaiah. I don't know if that's different for you. Like, do you think they should be fined? Should they, should it be just apology? I know one of the refs also used to play for the Rams, has, you know, great connections with LA. And a lot of people said that, well, they should know who, who's refing these games and it shouldn't be, you know, they shouldn't have great ties to any team when they come. Well, and I, and this is something I'm not sure if they have a merit system in already in place, but I think I don't know if they should be suspended, but I do think there should be a merit system in place. Right. So like throughout the NFL regular season, uh, you give merits or demerits to different referees based on how they call the game. And then after that, once the playoffs start, the refs or the squads that have the most demerits. I wouldn't allow them to ref any games in the playoffs and the ones who had the best, I would allow them to be the refs for um, the playoff games because truly you can't have anything like this at like for the NFL, you can't have something like this and have an explanation. There is no explanation for this. If you come out with an apology, I mean, you're saying that you're wrong. And I mean, that's, that's one thing, at least you're admitting it. But at the end of the day, you took, you literally took money away from the saints players. Literally, I mean, these guys get paid for every round that they're in the playoffs and you gave you took away their chance on uh, fighting for a Super Bowl. So no apology is going to match that. I don't think no fine or or, in, or firing them is, is really going to match that because at the end of the day, they lost something. So I think the NFL has to put in like some type of merit system to where only the best refs that they have will be in these games. And maybe they already think that they have their best refs, but there has to be something tweaked. Like there, there's no way you just walk away from this and, and, and ignore it or, or think that this just goes away. That was literally the worst call in sports. And, you know, we see that the Saints fans have done a petition, billboards. Um, you know, I even heard that one of the bars in New Orleans are not going to play the Super Bowl, but they're going to actually replay an old Saints Super Bowl they're refusing what happened. You know, you see how the Saints fans are acting about this game. What about the Rams? What do you think is going through the Rams, you know, the fans of the Rams? What do you think? I know, of course, they're probably happy that they're going to the Super Bowl, but don't they think that it's wrong, especially because of that call? Because that could happen to them in the future. I mean, I think, to be honest, every Rams fan right now, and even when they saw the call one every Rams fan, I'm I am pretty sure when they saw that expected a flag to be thrown once they didn't just like Nicole Roby Coleman he got up he looked both ways he didn't see a flag he celebrated and to them it's a, a win is a win and I mean just to be transparent if, if if it was my team who probably won't be in the Super Bowl anytime soon the Washington Football Club if they were in the NFC uh, title game and that was that went our way I'm I'm chalking it up as a win is a win, and and we're not talking about it anymore. That's it. Yeah, and I I talked to a lot of Rams fans and even Falcons fans, and and they all said surprisingly, right is right. They saw it and they really did say we got messed over. So I was happy to hear that they at least that they're acknowledging that. But either way, you know. We're still not going to the Super Bowl, and it's nothing that can be done about it. And I watched a video on Twitter. Um, Sean Payton, he was on the sidelines talking to a ref, and he said, you blew a Super Bowl call or something like that. Or he said something in that nature, and the ref responded to him, yes, I did. 
So to watch that video and to know that that ref saw that play happen, that was just that was just unbelievable. I mean, so I have to ask this because I mean, both of you are in Louisiana, and Deja, you're from New Orleans. You tell, are you telling me right now if that was the other way around and the Saints were on defense, the Rams were on offense, and that happened? You're not chalking that up as a win is a win, even if it's wrong, and you're not happy you're going to the Super Bowl? Uh, See, I'm the type of person, I'm not going to say a win is a win, but I want to earn the win. I don't want the win to be given to me. So if it would have went the other way around, I definitely would have said, well, you know, this is not something we earned. I mean, I would have been happy going to the Super Bowl, but it just wouldn't feel right not earning the win. And especially, like, with all the controversy that's going on. And just to see alone that we have made it so far, I mean, don't get me wrong, the Rams have made it far too because we made it to that point. But just to see of the Saints, you know, how they made it that far in the playoffs, I feel for the Saints that in New Orleans, it's so much more for us. It's so much, we are so connected to our sports. It's, we become one. Even one of my friends was joking around saying that the crime rate has gone down because the Saints have been winning. Now, this hasn't been proven, but, you know, we noticed that this has been a trend, you know, um, and just to see how we have really united, especially within the playoffs. And there's no other place like New Orleans of, you know, the sports fandom in a sense. Uh, yeah, Alana, and I don't know how long you've been in New Orleans, but the 2009 season, 2010 Super Bowl, it wasn't really a lot of crime. And I people think it's because of... Um, the Saints winning so many games. Um, they were on like a 13-game winning streak, so it was a lot of fun in the city. Everyone was always together every week for the game, you know, in the streets having second lines and dancing. And this year, New Orleans bounce rapper Chopper Style, his song Chopper Style came back after 17 years, and that was something that we that we've been doing throughout the season, the Chopper Style. So that was a feeling like no other this season. And to see it just come to an end like that because of a ref and a no call, it was just terrible. No, and exactly, Deja. You know, the Saints basically revived, in a sense, the bounce music in the city and the culture. So we have a big game coming up, the Super Bowl. So, Isaiah, who do you have and why? Well, I have the Rams. And I'll tell you why. It's because the the core that they have on offense – uh, how basically how they went to construct their team, especially what they did this year, trying to get to lead Peters, uh, Sue, making sure they locked down Aaron Donald. Uh, what they've done in, in, especially on the offensive side too, with golf and, and Gurley, I just think they have one youth at their side that the Patriots don't have and two that they, they're a complete team. The Patriots, they have, I guess you can call them somewhat of a good defense, but it's more of because of how Bill Belichick can scheme and he's such a great defensive coach. But the Rams, they have talent at every position on the defensive side. And I think that's what's going to end up giving them the edge. I do think this Super Bowl is going to be a, a shootout, though. Uh, and I think the defense from the Rams ends up making a play at the end. Okay, guys, I have the Rams in this. It's basically old school versus new school in here. Um, on one side, you have Sean McVay and Jared Goff versus Brady and Bill Belichick. And the biggest matchup of this game is the Rams offense and the Patriots defense. And why do I think the Rams are going to win? Because the Patriots, they don't have a lot of key receivers. 
and the Rams, they have Josh Reynolds, they have Brandon Cooks, and one of the best running backs in the league, if I do say so myself, Todd Gurley. We saw him on the sidelines in the third quarter of the NFC Championship, but I can guarantee you guys, you will not see him on the sidelines for the Super Bowl. And the Rams, they played at a big level all this season, and for the most part, consistently, I think they had like an eight-game winning streak or something like that. And Sean McVay, you saw in the NFC Championship, when everything started to fold, he went into that bag of tricks with the punt fake. If the if the Patriots want to get something going on defense, they have to rely on one player, and that's Trey Flowers. He's a key player for the Patriots. He's one of the best pass rushers. And we saw how poorly the Patriots defense played without him um, in the losses to the Jaguars and the Lions. And also Brady and Rob Gronkowski, they haven't been putting up their best numbers of the season. So I'm going with the new school Rams, and I'm going to call them that until the Super Bowl is over with, the new school Rams. Well, I think the new school Rams are going to take an L, Deja and Isaiah. Um, I'm going to go with Patriots. Um, I'm from Boston, so I'm a way bigger Saints fan than Patriots. But since they're going to the Super Bowl, why not root for them? Um, I just feel like they're going to control the tempo. I feel like they have some really, you know, key players like James White, Rex Burkhead, I feel like they're going to show the Rams that they can win another Super Bowl, which they have shown um, many fans in the past. You know, it's going to be interesting, definitely, and it's going to be something that, you know, when we tune in, we're probably going to be at the edge of our seats. But, you know, we can't close the segment without mentioning Bill Roden his coverage of black quarterbacks this season. If he were here, he'd definitely point out that there's no black quarterbacks playing in the Super Bowl. He was hoping to see Dak Prescott and the Cowboys go up against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Mr. Roden recently wrote a series about the black quarterbacks and the issues facing them now. You can check it out on theundefeated.com. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, let's talk Oscars. Stay tuned. The Oscars are less than a month away, and people are buzzing about the nominees. But we'll get to that. What sticks out to me is that there isn't a host. Organizers say that they might try a hostless show. But does that mean it will be a hot mess, or could this be the best show the Oscars have done? But let's backtrack. The Academy Awards show doesn't have a host because Kevin Hart stepped down. He received backlash over homophobic tweets made between 2009 and 2011. One of the tweets said, quote, Yo, if my son comes home and tries to play with my daughter's dollhouse, I'm going to break it over his head and say in my N-word voice, Stop, that's gay. End quote. Ellen stepped in and encouraged Kevin to still host the show, but she received backlash too. Protesters said she's not the face of the LGBTQ community and that she minimized the situation. So, did Kevin Hart do the right thing by stepping down to not be quote-unquote a distraction? I don't think Kevin Hart did the right thing. I was uh, originally behind him when he first said that he wasn't going to step down for it because, one, he had already apologized for the tweets before. This wasn't the first time that these tweets had had been surfaced. And, 
you can't keep apologizing for something. Now, obviously, they should have been deleted after the first time he had to apologize over it. But it's also the fact that he's a comedian and comedians are it's okay when they joke about everybody because I haven't seen, you know, Kevin Hart overtly go at people who are in the lgbtq community like it's it's not like all like 75 percent or more than half of his jokes go towards them and i and i just it reminds me of what's happening with family guy producers have come out and said that they're peeling back on the gay jokes now and and family guy was one of those those outlets where it's like okay everybody is fair game and the and i think the reason why ellen stepped in was because she's a comedian herself and she understands that comedians have that avenue where they joke about everybody and you know you kind of go to comedians to laugh and i understand if kevin hart or ellen or any other comedian isn't your taste and that's fine but to to bash him or to say that he needed to step down because of tweets that he made in 2009 and 2011 i think is just wrong anybody especially when twitter first came out the first couple of years i truly think everybody probably tweeted something that they they regret yeah, yeah. Um, I totally agree with you. Um, especially like if he apologized, you know, why bring it up again? Personally, I think they were just digging for something on him. It's starting to become a trend now. You know, whoever is being talked about the most in the media, it seems like what people are doing is just going to Twitter, putting their at name in, and putting a certain word or a phrase in, and seeing what they can find. And I mean, it's a little annoying. Um, one, two, it's it seems like. America, especially in the last, I'd say last 10, 15 years, has gotten a lot softer about things. And in the reason why comedians can't have the type of freedom that they used to when it came to making jokes. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like also people forget who Ellen is. Like she started off like she is a comedian. I feel like so many people put her on the box of now she's a host and now she's old. She has her show. She's a television host. Um, but, you know, she started off in a sitcom. Um, it was called Open House. And she had her own sitcom called Ellen. Like, I feel like people need to actually look at the background. And Isaiah brought up a great point of that, you know, comedians make jokes about literally everything, about your sexuality, about drugs, about literally anything they could think of. They Some people might think it's so funny and other people might take it as, you know, they're offended by it. It just really depends. But do you think that Ellen should have stepped up, you know, her whole background of her platform of her status to protect Kevin and to say, you know, to call the Oscars to say that, can he still host? Oh, I, th- I truly think that she should have stepped up. And to be honest, I think more should people, especially comedians, should have stepped up for Kevin Hart. I mean, this is... And I, I'd like to call it like an attack on obviously his personal life, but an attack on comedians as well. Everything that you see now, it, it seems as if, especially when it comes to comedians, something's being criticized about the work and not the fact that the jokes are bad or good, but what the jokes contain. And it's like, what, why are we policing everything that's supposedly funny? And most of those things that he tweeted, he even, I remember the first time he apologized for it, he was basically saying they were jokes. Like he does or like any other comedian would do with their Twitter account to reach more people that they can make jokes on their Twitter account. Kevin didn't want to apologize again because he already said that he made the 
he apologized already. So why should he have to go back in his past? A lot of people thought, you know, if he apologized again, it would have been okay. And he could have still hosted the Oscars. Um, do you think that Kevin was in, right on this also about not making another comment to apologize? I think he was right on that, but I think he, it came too late because how he did it at his first stance was that he wasn't going to apologize because he had already apologized for it. Then he actually comes out with an apology and then he says he's not commenting on it anymore. I mean, the only thing that's going to take away the tweets is deleting them. But now that it's screenshotted in all over the world, they're not going to go away. So it's like, what is, what is the point of apologizing a second time? I understand the first time, right? Because you want to be, you want to be respectful to um, the LGBT community. And I'm pretty sure he has some fans or at least had some before this, that um, some fans that were part of the LGBTQ community. So he shouldn't comment on this again. And, you know, last year they had Jimmy Kimmel. He was the host of the Oscars. And if we don't get a host, it's going to be a hostless show. And the Oscars is not sure if that's the route they're going to go. Who do you think should host the show? I don't know if I have uh, a certain person in mind because all the people that I'm thinking of or that would be good hosts are comedians for the most part. The only other person that I've I've seen host an award show, and mind you, I I don't watch too many of them, but the only person I've seen that wasn't a comedian that I really enjoyed as a host was probably Drake when he hosted the ESPYs because he turned that in, he turned that into his own thing it turned into the drake show and 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 i thought it was pretty funny but other than that i mean who else really is going to help move that show along be memorable you know in between the parts of you know the presentations or the uh, nominations and everything else i don't know anything else you would want you would obviously want to laugh but who else would you want? And I mean, would another comedian want to do that because they may have some tweets or they may have a joke from a show back in 2009 that they don't want to come out and, and, you know, be a problem as well. So I, I at this point I'd say go with a, a hostless show. Yeah. Everyone that I thought about was a comedian as well. And I thought about, um, Monique, she hosted the BT awards in 2007. And I think she's been like the best host on that show since she was the host. Yeah, I don't think anyone else would be a good fit other than a comedian just to get just to keep the show going and moving and everyone laughing. Exactly. To keep the show flowing. And when the comedian comes up on the stage, they literally point the finger or they, you know, make a joke about an actress or an actor in the crowd. And everybody, you know, it's funny, but it's true. And it's just, it's kind of like uplifting for the night. Um But for the nominees, you know, for this year, we have Black Panther, we have Vice, and especially we have Green Book. Our producer, Erin Mathewson, is on the line. She's been following the hashtag Oscars So White movement and wanted to weigh in on the Best Picture nominees, especially Green Book. Hi, Erin. Thanks, Alana. Yeah, I've been kind of following Oscars So White since it really gain visibility in 2015. If you recall, that was uh, one of the years when all the nominees for Best Supporting and Lead Actor and Actress were white, and there's a lot of backlash. So fast forward three years, it's 2019, and I've seen most of the Best the best Picture nominees, Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite. I haven't seen Roma or Vice. I hope to see those. Um 
what really got me about Green Book was that I didn't even want to see it. Like when it first came out, I heard way more criticism than praise. And a lot of the criticism criticism was from young black women who were saying it was trash and that it was a white savior film that was just kind of making white people feel better about how to approach racism and how we can all get along. And, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm here for a feel-good movie, but I didn't feel the need to see it once I saw that stuff. But then as time went on, I I heard different opinions. I, I actually heard some people raving about it and even Bill Roden was kind of talking it up and saying it's really important to know about the story of the Green Book, which is the book that black folks use to help them travel through the South and know where they could eat and sleep and hang out safely. So it was definitely something important. So I was like, okay, let me let me find out what was so terrible about this film. Because at least, you know, as a journalist, as someone who tells stories, maybe it'll help me in what not to do. And I think if you approach Green Book that way, it's actually helpful. Um, let me say I'm grateful I saw the film. I did not know about the the protagonist in the story, Donald Shirley, um, who's played by Mahershala Ali. He was a world-renowned pianist. And it's about his uh, relationship with his chauffeur, his white Italian chauffeur, Nick Villalonga. And the movie uh, kind of implies that, you know, uh, as they drive through the South in the 1960s, they get to know each other and they become friends and then they died not too long apart from each other. But apparently this is not totally the case because uh, the family of Donald Shirley has been pretty upset about the film and since there are a lot of inaccuracies, first and foremost, they say that Donald Shirley and Nick Villalonga were not even friends. Like it was an employer-employee relationship. Uh, they also say that Donald Shirley had black friends and he was very involved with black people um, uh, you know, he knew Nina Simone. Whereas in the movie, Shirley is kind of portrayed as this kind of really lonely guy. He's he's queer. He's estranged from his wife and his family. He's t- not black enough to hang out with black folks, especially working class black folks, which is the only other black people we see in the film. And he's definitely too black to be white. He won't pass despite his social class or his, you know, he seems wealthy. He lives in Carnegie Hall. He's clearly been educated. He's, he's not going to fit in with white folks. So he just seems kind of lonely. All he has is his music. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we don't know more. Uh, the big kicker for me though, was apparently, uh, according to Refinery29, uh, the son of Nick Vallelonga, who who wrote the movie, had approached Donald Shirley before he died about doing the film, and Shirley declined, and I, apparently he was concerned about how he'd be portrayed. So, you know, like, I understand that it's that would make telling the story complicated, because you, half of the story belongs to your father, and if you have permission to tell your father's story, especially this story, it's, it would be hard to not tell Donald Shirley's story. Um, but, you asked and someone declined and so to and and you're white like to go ahead and just tell somebody's story when they said no it's just abuse of you know abuse of power and and just kind of bad form so yeah that's that's kind of my big takeaway from that but there is an upside in that uh i guess if there's an upside it would be that mahersa ali did call Shirley's family and apologized and he said if he had known that he had had that Shirley had living relatives he would have consulted them 
So I think that was good. And, you know, Mahershala has clearly received a lot of praise. The, the movie has received a lot of praise. I mean, Viggo Mortensen also, I think, did a fine job. Um, it's unclear if this con- this whole kind of controversy, all the layers, and there are more we won't go into, uh, is going to affect voters. Um, but we'll see. Um, as far as Oscar So White goes, uh, since 2016, things are changing slowly but surely. Um, we have seen more black and brown people be nominated for best actor or best lead actor, best supporting actor and actress. So it's good to see that because, you know, I think it's important to note that Oscar So White was not just about seeing more black people. I think it was spearheaded by black folks, but it was, to me, it was about everybody. And I think the next frontier then is to address the lack of Asian nominees in all the major categories, including Best Picture, um, and the lack of women um, nominated for Best Director. The last time a woman won for Best Director was in 2010. The only uh, film with Asian actors that's up for an award is uh, Shoplifters, which is up for Best Foreign Film. It's about a, a family in Tokyo that's dealing with poverty and shoplifting. And I'm hoping that that's we don't have to relegate you know, Asian actors to best foreign film to get nominated. I haven't seen any of the pictures, but there's one that one movie that I saw and that I definitely thought should have been nominated. And I don't, I don't know if you guys seen it. Have you guys seen crazy rich Asians? Yeah. 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 So I, I definitely think um, that movie should have been nominated. I looked on Twitter. I wasn't I wasn't the only one. It was other people that were saying it. And I definitely think that that movie would have added some, you know, diversity to the to the nomination. Um, I have seen the list for Best Picture, and, and it's Green Book, Bohemian Rhapsody, Vice, A Star is Born, Roma, uh, Favorite, and Black Klansman, and Black Panther. Now, the only thing that I think of when it comes to best picture, I think of every other category that they have and like the film that does all of those things or brings all of those elements together. So obviously the cast, the screenwriting, the directing, cinematography, all of that. And out of all of these, I'd probably say Green Book. I don't understand how it's in best picture, but Bohemian Rhapsody or maybe even Black Klansman. I think those two were probably the ones I would consider best picture. Just just with seeing how they have taken all of those elements and they're good. They weren't lacking in any of those, whether it's the cast, screenwriting, or anything like that. And exactly. Looking at the picture as a whole, and you see you see Black Klansmen and you see just the, the different framing and the different direction that Spike Lee wanted to go in. And the fact that he, of course, used his famous shot, you know, when they have the two characters, two actors in the, in the screen and they're floating, his famous uh, floating camera shot is one of the things that you look for when you watch a Spike Lee movie. And he did that. He added that in there so nicely. Um, and, you know, you talk about writing. You see John David Washington, that's Denzel Washington's son, play a great role, really get into <laughs> Ron Stallworth's character and how he just, it, it just came natural. The, the movie really wanted, you wanted to see how you went from one scene to the next and Spike Lee once again executed that great. There is something I wanted to note though, such as the nominations, uh, one movie that I think that should have been nominated, and I don't know if you go for best picture or screenwriting or whatever, 
is Bird Box. It, obviously, it came on a net, um, excuse me, it came through Netflix, so it wasn't one of the regular Hollywood blockbuster films. I just think that it was a really interesting movie that you had to have like a certain imagination to you know to obviously watch that and to 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 stay through the movie. But I think that was it was rewarding in the end, and it was it was such a good movie. It bring it seems like it brings so much attention to Sandra Bullock, and it made me realize how much of my generation doesn't didn't know who she was until then. But I just think that Netflix movies are going to in the in the future going to have a little bit more respect when it comes to that because in the last year or so, uh, Mowgli, Bird Box, uh, Bright. Those movies have come out on Netflix and they've had plenty of others, but I think those are going to have to start getting more considerations when it comes to nominations. And the fact that people didn't know who Sandra Bullock was until Bird Box came out scares me. It literally scares me because she's been in so many great movies from Miss Congeniality, The Blind Side, Speed, The Heat. Like I can go on and on about the movies that she's been in. I don't think Bird Box should have been nominated for an Oscar. I think Bird Box was a great movie for Netflix and that own platform. And I know a lot of people, I personally even watched the movie just because I know Sandra Bullock was in it. Sandra Bullock carried that movie. And that's why I just, you know, wanted to tune in to see what was happening. But Oscar nominated, I don't think, no. But Netflix is going in the right direction. And possibly there could be an Oscar nominated movie that they do make in the future black panther is the first movie that you see out of the best picture i just thought that was interesting because comic book movies usually don't get the respect that they should when it comes to awards comic book movies uh comedy movies uh animation movies they have a own section for animation but they usually don't get the respect that they deserve and it's funny i think black panther had a lot of hype to it and i do think it was a good movie but i don't know if it fits in this category for best picture that was the last thing i just wanted to add well to add to that um isaiah it's the first superhero film to get a a best picture nomination and to think marvel didn't even want to make black panther that literally changed so many people's lives from watching it Before we end the show, recently social media users have pointed out that one of Ariana Grande's recent songs, Seven Rings, has a Soldier Boy sample in it from his song, Pretty Boy Swag. Yes, I said Soldier Boy. You know, and he took, (laughs) Soldier Boy then took to Twitter and said, you're a thief to Ariana. He also went on The Breakfast Club claiming that all record labels owe him and that Drake and others can credit him for their success. So should Soldier Boy have acted like this? Um, I, I don't think he should have acted like that because a lot of artists sample from each other. But I think people do need to give Soldier Boy the credit he deserves because a lot of artists do sample from him. And for example, Beyonce. Now, once the Queen Bee samples from you, you have made it. It was her song, Hold Up. She sampled from him... Um, during that song, Willow Smith has sampled from him, Ariana Grande, and a lot of other artists. So we have to give him his credit, but should he have acted like that? No way. But I think he's acting like that because he is putting out new music, and it's just a stunt. I'll say that he shouldn't have acted like that, but I once again, I understand it. Because like Deja said, it's a stunt. And like I, we talked about Kanye before on this show, and 
I don't take Kanye serious anymore because I understand whenever he comes out with something, you know, completely from left field in the back of my head, I'm thinking nine times out of 10, a sneaker is coming out. His music is coming out or music that he produced is coming out. And the same thing with Soldier Boy. Not only did he just drop a album or a mixtape, whatever that was, but he is also trying to come back with another game game system that he's probably going to get sued for again. So, I mean, when you see artists do these things, it's always because they want the attention. And it, it makes sense in the time of music now. You're not making money in the music industry by selling albums. You're doing it by streams. People stream you. Um, if they look you up, right, if they're going to look you up, they're going to nine times out of 10 play your music. Everybody is talking about Soldier Boy, which means everybody is looking Soldier Boy up, which means his music is getting played. So, I mean, it's 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 like, don't I'm, I don't feed into it anymore. And like, I, I already understood that because he went on not only the Breakfast Club, but uh, everyday struggle. And on the table was his game system. And I'm like, why are you at an interview with your game system? And I think he did the same thing at the Breakfast Club, if I'm not mistaken. But it's like, I, I've seen this before. It, it's, he's pulling a Kanye. And it, it's, it's just funny to see. <laughs> he's pulling a Kanye. But you have to agree that his lyrics are pretty catchy. This right here is my swag. Like, I... I don't know. It, <laughs> it's catchy. Yes, it's catchy. And, and he should he should get the respect that he, you know, he deserves. But like Deja was saying, artists sample from other artists all the time. And it's I am sure that he's been sampled before and he has seen a check for it. It may not have been a big one, but I'm pretty sure he's seen a check for most of the stuff that has been sampled from him. So it's like, why is he really complaining? And I don't think he's 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 fake complaining. Like I said, he's trying to get more attention to himself so he can get more streams, which makes sense. But it's like, I'm not going to feed into it. Um, People don't give him the respect that he deserves. You know, he was on the back burner for so long um, after he came out with his mainstream songs that we all know now like uh crank that soldier boy you know for a couple of years he was on the back burner and 2019 everyone's saying that he's making a comeback with all the controversial um attention that he's getting in the media right now and the fact that he had to call ariana grande a thief like you're out of line sir and you you have no right to call her a thief and it just goes right back into deja what you were saying about sampling it's just a known fact um but, you know, do you think Soldier Boy will make a comeback out of this? No, because, I mean, I listened to a couple of the songs that, I mean, maybe one or two are halfway decent, but they would have needed another artist on the songs to make the song a radio hit or something that's really going to get a lot of streams. You give it maybe two or three weeks once that video of The Breakfast Club is over and, you know, the memes are dying down a little bit. It's really he's not going to be a factor anymore. So I don't think it's going to help him his music. And he's he's definitely not going to make a comeback from where he was, because when he was making actual good music, like back to back to back, he was a teenager. Well, that's all the time we have for today. If there's anything you'd like us to cover or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated hashtag Roden Fellows. You can also contact me directly on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Alana B underscore. That's underscore A-L-L-A-N-A-B underscore. And I'm on Twitter at underscore underscore man of the hour. M-A-N-O-F-T-H-E-H-O-U-R. 
And you guys can follow me on Twitter at King Deja, K-I-N-G-D-E-J-A-A. This show is produced by Aaron Mathewson and Roden Fellow Janae Adams. Special thanks to Tarika Foster Brasby and Kyrie Williams. I'm your host, Alana Bearfield. Get all the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as The Right Time with Bomani Jones and Morning Roast by subscribing to the Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.